Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast for Yahoo Sports Canada. I'm your host, William Liu. Joining me this week, one of my favorite people in this business, Cash, Joseph Kashar. What's going on, man? What's going on, Will? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, I appreciate you. Uh, you've just been busy finishing off an episode of Pound the Rock. What's going on there? What are we expecting from PTR this week, you and uh, you and Wolfond? Uh, looking at the five most interesting or fascinating teams of the offseason, and then midway through the pod uh, got interrupted by the news that Nate Bjorken is going to take over the Pacers, who are one of the five teams we talked about, of course, because as you know, Wolf on loves to talk about the Pacers. Uh, but no, they, they do genuinely have an interesting offseason ahead. But yeah, um, so it kind of works out well because then started talking about Nate Bjorken and the Raptors, which I think uh, I assume we're going to talk about today. Yeah, well, I mean, look, there's uh, not a lot of Raptors, actual Raptors news. So this is actually qualifies. So um, yeah, I mean, Nate Bjorken has been hired to be the next head coach of the Indiana Pacers. Um, a little bit of a surprising hire, I would say, um, only because Nate is still a little bit newer in terms of he's not like one of these like lifetime assistant coaches, stuff like that. Um, you know, he joined uh, Nick Nurse when Nick Nurse was promoted to head coach in 2018. And um yeah, but I'm f- thrilled for him, man. I mean, it's it's a fantastic story for people who don't know. Nick coached Bjorkgren as a player at South Dakota. There's all these random stories about Iowan basketball players, all right? So he's from Iowa. Nick's from Iowa. Different cities in Iowa. Um, but Nick coached him, uh, and then Bjorkgren eventually uh, joined Nick in the, in the D-League back, I think they were the Iowa Energy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was reading Nick, Nur- Nick Nurse's book, which I'm going to plug for the second podcast because it's right on my desk. But um, yeah, I mean, I was reading his book and he, he talks about his stories with Nate and how this guy used to pay for his own flights to games because that was not covered. He was essentially volunteering when it was Masai- close enough. Masai-esque. Mas- no, it was a real Messiah story. Like He would drive like hundreds of miles to go to games. Um, Nick would pay for his meals. Because, again, like they didn't have much money back then. And literally, they, they would do this exercise where Nate and Nick would get together in Nick's basement in mm-hmm. Iowa and just come up with random scenarios like, oh, it's 90-90, two minutes left, we're inbounding from the baseline, six seconds left, what play are we drawing up? All right, we're defending. All right, are we going to press and all this stuff? And he used to have this whiteboard, and the two of them used to just be in this basement all day thinking about scenarios and then put it into a spreadsheet. And that's kind of how they got together as as a coaching combo. It's it's kind of an incredible story, but I'm happy for the Pacers to hire him. What, what do you think of the hire for for Indiana? First off, I mean, does it say anything about where they're going to go this offseason? I mean, uh, first of all, I think it's tough because like we don't really know, you know, about Nate Bjork, like what he would look like as a head coach. We don't, you know, we we're both around the team a lot, but we don't really know his coaching philosophies or what his X's and O's would look like. You know, one thing I do know is he's got a pretty good reputation as like a development guy um, mm-hmm. who's good in, in player development. So maybe that indicates perhaps that the Pacers, you know, view themselves as a team that's going to be more in development mode than they will be in win now mode, which maybe makes sense if they're trading all the depot and perhaps pivoting. But 
even that I think might be reading too much into it because, you know, even if you trade Oladipo, if you get a decent package back um, between Brogdon and Sabonis, and if you trade Turner and get some assets there, like, yeah, maybe you're taking a bit of a step back, but you're still a pretty solid team. Like, I don't think they would necessarily be in complete tear down, rebuild, like develop young players mode. So, so I don't know, maybe, maybe it speaks to the fact they're still trying to straddle that line, right? Where they're developing at the same time while they're trying to win something that Nate Bjorken knows about coming from Toronto, which probably did that better than any team. Um, But yeah, it's definitely shocking to me. Like I know the reports came out a few weeks ago that he had interviewed for the job, but I think most people thought um, this was Mike D'Antoni's job to lose based on a lot of reports out there. And you know, whether it was the Pacers deciding Bjorken was better for the job, or maybe it was Mike D'Antoni deciding this wasn't really the best fit for him as a 70 something year old man that, you know, wants to finish his career with a championship. We don't know, but um, yeah, I, I think, I think it's tough to nail down exactly, you know, what this means for the Pacers, just because there are so many unknowns when it comes to a rookie head coach in the NBA, right? Like we really know nothing about his philosophies, but one interesting thing, um, cause you were mentioning how much time he spent with nurse, both playing for him and then coaching with him, both in the D league and the NBA. So just like nurse was the first coach to win a cha- a head coach to win a championship in the D slash G league and the NBA, Bjorken's actually the only assistant coach in league oh. history to have, to be an assistant <laughs> on uh, a G league winning squad and an nba winning squad so uh, there's that i mean good for him honestly man i really respect people who like have like grinded their way through all this i mean like again it, it's just it's to compare it to like a steve nash situation like obviously he played he was a fantastic player and then when these fantastic players generally want to become a coach there's usually a spot for them right um and then the other way to go about it is like this like really long random route that Nick Nurse went that Nate went to. I mean, Nate didn't go to coach in like Belgium and uh, England and all this kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I really respect him for it. I mean, I honestly, I think for the Pacers, um, they just need to shoot more threes. And I think they're probably looking for a coach that's going to modernize their philosophy a little bit. Last year, they were 30th in three-point attempts per game and 29th in three-point makes. <laughs> They actually didn't shoot the three that poorly. They were league average at uh, 36%. And they got some decent shooters on the team. But if they can modernize that offense a little bit, I think that's probably what they're looking for. That's probably why they wanted D'Antoni. And if you're D'Antoni, you're probably like, look, I'm 70 years old. I don't know if I want to move my family to go to Indiana for the rest of my career. I might just go to Brooklyn and help out Steve Nash for a while. (laughs) Because there's a report there that Steve's looking to add D'Antoni and um, Phil Handy as well. Shout out Phil Handy, just going from team to team, getting rings, man. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of the Raptors, though, I mean, do you where do you potentially see the Raptors replacing him on the coaching staff? I think Nick has talked about this before, and he's, he's talking about how he wants to continue promoting within, you know, there's a culture of development there. But if you're looking at the Raptors um, coaching roster, I mean, yeah, are you going to promote someone within or are you going to bring someone in? I know there's talks about Chris Finch. Yeah, Chris Finch, who I believe um, worked with Nick on the British uh, national team at one point, correct? Yeah, I think Nick was the assistant and Chris Finch was actually the head coach. Okay, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and Fitch was actually one of the people that was talked about uh, as a potential candidate to get the Pacers job, strangely oh. enough. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Fitch could make some sense if if Nurse wants to, you know, hire from within and promote within. You know, I think that's very on brand for the Raptors and based on the way... Masai and Bobby Webster and Nick Nurse have uh, 
steered this organization, I think there are probably a lot of good internal candidates, right? Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think either way, they look to fill Bjorken's position. I think fans should feel confident in that, you know, they'll come up with the right choice. Yeah, for sure. Um, by the way, Finch is also one of these guys that has one of these long, very random careers. He played for the Sheffield Forgers, uh, which was a Division Two British basketball league, and then went to something called the Gesson 46ers and the Euphony Bree, and uh, then ended up in Rio Grande, who he was the head coach there. Uh, for the G League team uh, until Nick Nurse took it over and then he joined the Rockets as an assistant. Honestly, I mean, he got a lot of credit from a couple of years ago where uh, the Rockets had that switching defense and he got a lot of credit for that defense. I mean, it's it's not easy designing a defense that works around James Harden, at least way back then when he didn't try. He tries a little bit now. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, whoever the Raptors end up bringing in, I think it's uh, it's it's just cool. I think in general that the Raptors are, you know, I mean, especially for Nick, I think it's cool that he's now developed a little bit of a coaching tree. This is like the first node. You can branch off a little bit. And um, yeah, you know, it's a sign of a winning organization when people want to hire your people. And people keep trying to interview Raptors people. Yeah, both at the coaching level and the executive level, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, had they not locked up Bobby Webster, I think Bobby Webster would have been a a prime target for teams looking um, for guys to run their organizations. And we know about Masai, obviously being the most in-demand executive in basketball, maybe in all of sports to be, to be honest. Uh, And now at the coaching level, right? Like I mentioned it when, when the Clippers uh, and Doc Rivers parted ways at the time, I said, I think it's a pretty damn good thing that the Raptors have already locked up Nick nurse, because Mm -hmm. I would not have been surprised if the Clippers had come calling on nurse, you know, had uh, after doc, dismissal so yeah i think just at every level of the organization the fact that you have people that other organizations want you know is always a good sign and considering where this franchise was less than a decade ago still never ceases to amaze me oh yeah definitely it's it's you, the, I, I went from like as a fan of the raptors just like man please copy the spurs take whoever the spurs are going to give you i remember even when nick was you know one of the potential uh, you know, uh, candidates to replace Dwayne Casey, it was like, oh man, but what about Ime Udoka or like Itori Messina or like, um, yeah. you know, it, you know, it, everyone wanted to be the Spurs. Mike Budenholzer. Mike, Mike Budenholzer. Yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> that is, uh, that was a, that was a good call there. By yeah. I think, I think Masai actually said no to, to, that, uh, to yeah, Mike. The, I'm not totally the, sure what happened there. By the, the way, report? I think Doc Rivers is also one of the people Masai wanted to talk to for that coaching position. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't the report with Bud that like, if I remember correctly, it was some, I don't remember who reported it, but it was like something along the lines of Masai didn't get the right vibe mm. from Bud or something like that. Yeah, probably. He's probably like, look, uh, six minutes left. Uh, you're, you're down six in the Eastern Conference Finals. What are you doing? And he's like, uh, well, first off, I'm going to bench Kawhi, give him his uh, standard three minute rest, make sure he's below 26 minutes for the game. <laughs> and Masai's like, yeah, no, <laughs> can't take this guy. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, so I mean, in terms of actual Raptors news, so um, you and I have actually both, uh, you know, uh, you did a video for the scores unfiltered series, which is really great. Um, Thank you on Fred VanVleet's free agency, and I just wrote about Fred VanVleet's free agency. Yeah, I was reading that actually as prep this morning. It was great. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, first off, I think you and I are probably both in agreement that Fred's a really damn good player, and I don't know about you, but you know, obviously, we're both on Raptors Twitter a lot. It seems like. 
every single time there's a report that kind of comes out and shout out Fred's agent to make sure that there's always reports that comes out. But every time there's a report that comes out, this latest one being, okay, Fred's probably going to receive something within like a Malcolm Brogdon type deal, which is four years, 85 million. People are always like, it's too much. You got to let him go. He's under, he's underpaid or he's uh, he's undersized. It's too much, you know, all this other stuff. And I'm just thinking like, are we, are we all watching the same game? Cause Fred's a really damn good player. He's the number one free agent for a reason. It's, I mean, yes, it's partially because it's a depressed year in terms of uh, not a lot of star free agents being available, but Fred's a really damn good player. Um, first off, where do you stand on that? I mean, if, if the deal does come down to something around 20 million a year, for me, that's an easy decision. I'm saying yes. I mean, where are you on that? I completely agree, man. I think if he's in that $20 million range, I think you make that, I think you make that deal and you don't even think twice about it. Now, you know, if he starts, I guess, inching his way up to, I don't know, like I, you know, before he struggled a bit in the, in the last playoff series, I think there was people talking about him in the max range or even in like the $25 million range. Maybe that's more in line with like the Raptors walkaway number. Yeah, but I, I think, think so. in that 20, 21 million dollar range, I think I think you make that deal. Look, like forget his size for a second and, and just look at the results. Um is he gonna struggle with things because of his size from time to time? Yes. You know, he's gonna struggle in series, you know, in playoff series against teams like Philadelphia or maybe even Milwaukee, or as we saw Boston, as an offensive initiator and creator. But if you put him in the right situation where he is kind of your secondary ball handler in the backcourt, uh, plays a little more off the ball, and often shares the court with another capable ball handler, I think Fred's great on the offensive end. I also think he has developed his offensive package and his layup package especially. I know it didn't come through in the Boston series. He missed a lot of bunnies, but you can't let that cloud your judgment of what we saw over the course of the season. He has improved his layup package and his finishing to the point where he overcomes a lot of his size deficiencies in finishing at the rim, um, especially compared to, you know, even a year ago or two years ago. Uh, He's a good and improving playmaker. Uh, A year ago or a little more than a year ago, I would have told you that it was frustrating sometimes to watch Fred try to operate in the pick and roll because you watch Lowry do it to perfection. And then, you know, you watch Fred struggle to even make a nice pocket pass. And you've watched how that's developed over the course of the last year where he's definitely learned from Kyle and is a much more capable pick and roll operator and playmaker in general than he was even a year ago. Um, He's become, and this is not at all hyperbole, look at the numbers. Like he's become one of the league's more elite volume three-point shooters. On the defensive end, again, forget the size. He gets the job done. He's one of the best um, defensive guards in terms of, you know, um, timing his double, those digs and the steals on big men in the post. He can obviously hold his own against guards. He's quick enough that you can put him, uh, you can give him a defensive assignment for a game or a series to chase a shooter around the perimeter if he, if he needs to, you know, don't forget the box and one who was the one, you know, in the box and one against Steph Curry and the Warriors, it was Fred Van Vliet. Like he just checks off so many boxes and people need to like, let go of this idea that at $20 million a year or whatever it may be, you need someone to be like a franchise player. You don't, if Fred Van Vliet gets better then you're laughing if you get him for $20 million a year. But what people need to realize if, if, if Fred Van Vliet for the life of his contract is just what he is right now in the modern NBA, that basically is a $20 million a year player, especially in this market where he's becoming a free agent in a year where he is probably the best free agent on the market. So I just think um, people need to be more realistic with this stuff. You know, there are some times when people overvalue the players on their own team or the young talent. And then there's times like this where people get scared off by actually paying 
the talent mm-hmm. on their own team because they see them as like they're not a star, they're not a franchise player. Fred Van Vliet is pretty damn good on both ends of the ball right now. And if he even gets a little better, you're talking about the type of player that could threaten to be like a borderline all-star here and there. I just, I don't, I don't see the hesitancy in giving them that kind of money. And I get the concern, obviously, about not wanting to eat into 2021 cap space. The Raptors can give them that kind of money and still be a player for Giannis or in 2021 free agency. So, you know, have, have some faith in Masai and Bobby and the organization here. They're not going to, they're not going to do anything that takes them out of that race if they think they're in it. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, honestly, that's probably the biggest hesitation. That's probably what's going to keep Fred's price down just a little bit too, but I mean, to, 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 first off, many points. Um, a, if it's $20 million, which is what Brogdon got, that would put Fred as about the 15th highest paid point guard in the NBA. Um, if you look at the 14 players ahead of him, 11 of them have made all-star games before or are just straight up perennial all-stars. So first off, you're, what that tells you is that the point guard position is already um, a really high salary position, right? Um, pretty much all the top point guards make a uh, 30 million plus at this point you look at Kyle you look at all these other guys and then e- honestly even out of the guys who are ahead of Fred some of those guys are going to become all-stars like Jamal Murray for example um now you're, you're essentially paying Fred to be a in terms of 15th out of the point guards you're telling yourself basically you want him to be an average starting level point guard which I think I agree with you right now like at this current level Fred is already at that level so if he does improve that's going to make that deal look even better and really if you look at Fred he's 26 years old right uh, a four-year deal will take him through the remainder of his 20s so most of his prime years and if you look at just the trajectory of what Fred has done, I mean, this man has consistently made improvements every single year. It's it's almost Pascal Siakam-esque. The two of them obviously have shared their careers from the time they went into the NBA. But, you know, Fred, I mean, this guy went undrafted. You had him and tra- in training camp back in 2017. And he was competing against like Brady Heslip and like Jerry Utoff. And I, I, who's the um, Danny Crawford's uh, son? Oh man, Drew, Drew Crawford. Drew Crawford. I didn't yeah, know. there was a whole bunch of other guys. He had to beat out five guys just to get to the fifteenth spot on the roster. And then when he got there, he was the fourth string point guard. And then he wins a G League championship. He wins. Uh, he you know he wins a spot in the team. He leads the bench unit in twenty eighteen. He was I think third in um, six man of the year voting that year. And then last year, obviously, he breaks out in the playoffs, swings the entire championship in the Eastern Conference Finals and the championship, that this year, his first year as a starter, he does really well. If you just look at his trajectory, this is not a player who is stagnant. It's not like you worry about his professionalism. Oh, he's going to get the money and then, you know, like ease up and, you know, like a Nick Batum situation. It's not going to be like that. So there's a good chance he continues to improve. And then I'm also thinking about, like, who else are you replacing Fred with? Like, people are like, all right, you let Fred, you let Fred walk. We have Norm. He's good enough as a starter. And I'm like... Yo, don't. It's just a, it's it's a bit of a misunderstanding of how how games are like won. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not saying that against Norm. It's just they're they're very different players. Norm brings an entirely different skill set. Yes, he scores and he's a probably a better scorer and a better finisher than Fred is, but he doesn't do anything else. Doesn't really defend. Doesn't really play make for other people. Uh, that's a concern. And then who else do you have? Terrence Davis and Pat McCaw, like. So, I mean, and then, of course, Kyle's only on the roster for one more year. Obviously, you know, I, I think every Raptor fan would like that relationship to be extended. But if Giannis does indeed come to Toronto, that would mean Kyle Lowry has to take a significant pay cut in order to stick around. 
And yeah, that's also a concern. So you kind of need Fred. And I think Fred's in a good situation. If you can get him $20 million a year, that's, I don't want to say it's a steal, but it's a, it's a good deal. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Norm, just the basketball IQ drop off. (laughs) I'm sorry to say, but from Fred to Norm, look, Norm has his skills. He, he's bigger. He's bigger than Fred. He's Mm -hmm. more of a slasher score, a great shooter as well. Um, But as an overall basketball player um, on both ends of the court, and if you look at like value and impact on winning at the NBA level, Norm Powell is not in Fred VanVleet's league. And, and that's not an exaggeration. Like that's just what it is. Um, and you can't just, you can't just say, okay, well, this guy can handle the ball and score and shoot. So therefore he can replace this other guy who was handling the ball. Like there's so much more, as you know, that goes into it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's so much more nuance and context that goes into it. And also, you know, not to get too much into the, like the intangibles thing, because I know sometimes we can overvalue that in the media, but like as anyone who's been around this team and probably who's watched this team the last couple of years knows when you talk about like the culture that has been set in Toronto, Fred Van Vliet's a big part of that. You know, there was, there was somewhat of a vacuum that was left after Kawhi Leonard departed. And I know no one necessarily saw Kawhi as a leader type, you know, ask the Clippers about that. But, but in general, he, he did leave a leadership vacuum here because him and Lowry were the leaders of that team. Right. And, and Kawhi did seem to take on that leadership role a little more willingly in Toronto than he did in LA. And Fred, while obviously not at the same skill level as Kawhi, did a hell of a job stepping in to that leadership hole. And it started basically, I was going to say from training camp, it started before training camp because, you know, as you recall, as I actually spoke to Fred about one-on-one at training camp, but as he told, you know, the larger media at uh, media day, um, or sorry, Stanley Johnson told the larger media at media day that in off-season workouts, like voluntary off-season workouts before media day, mm-hmm. you know, Fred was already getting on the new guys yeah, about yeah. their approach to that voluntary workout. And, you know, the famous quote of, hey, we work here. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. this is how we approach things here. So there's a lot to consider with Fred where it's not as easy as just replacing that guy with giving someone else the ball for, you know, X number of possessions a game. Yeah. And also like, what are you, I mean, first of all, what are you doing as a franchise? If Fred's like, I need 22 million, you're like, no, I only can only give you 20. And then he leaves over 2 million or some, some small thing like that. Yeah. This isn't Oklahoma city, man. What are you saying? Exactly. Right. We don't need to do that. Um, and, and and yeah, he, I mean, to your point, he kind of is the embodiment of, of Raptors culture and sort of what they want to do here. They want to take players they want to develop them and they want them to get paid and they want them to, you know, perform in the big moments. Like Fred has literally hit on all those targets. Now, in terms of the teams coming out to him, I'm still not totally sure what his, his market is. I mean, there's rumors, it seems like all the time, but never from like the major guys, I would say. Um, but the list seems to be New York, Detroit phoenix ish and then atlanta which atlanta was the first time i heard about that one to be honest i might just throw atlanta out there um out of this mix just because i don't know if they want to put fred with trey young together so what, what do you the think thing. about that yeah yeah not to interrupt you but the thing i was gonna say is like i get where you're coming from with the atlanta thing and i know a lot of people haven't kind of connected it to i mentioned them in the in the, um, the video that you talked about for the unfiltered series the reason I think it actually makes sense for the Hawks, I don't think they'll do it, but the reason I think they should be thinking about doing it is because Fred has proven that he is at his best and and can excel 
with another point guard on the floor. And I know Kyle's not quite as ball dominant as Trey Young is, but like Fred can play that role and I think can do it really well. And, you know, the obvious concern would be Trey Young's one of the worst, if not the worst defensive guard in the league. And you pair him with an undersized guy. But as we mentioned, like Fred is not your average undersized guy. You can't just look at his size and be like, okay, here are his defensive limitations. If anything, pairing Trey Young with a guard as defensively capable as Fred Van Vliet actually makes sense size regardless. So I think, you know, if you're looking at a, if if you're the Hawks and you're looking at it from the perspective of we need to bring in winning players that obviously are also talented enough and worth the money that will elevate a guy like Trey Young, that will make it easier on Trey Young, um, that can defend beside Trey Young, that can play on the ball or off the ball beside Trey Young and, and will improve us in so many ways, bring, you know, some added winning culture. Like the Hawks are one of these teams that in terms of the young talent they have, they kind of seem like they're on the cusp of maybe, you know, being good, but then something about like the results don't really show up. And I think Fred is the exact kind of culture guy they need that is also checks a lot of boxes on the courts. So to me, I think the Hawks should be very much in on it. They're one of what five teams with cap space. Now to your point, I don't actually think they will be because for whatever reason, there seems to be this notion that they, you know, they don't want to spend money on a guard when they have Trey young. But I think given the way basketball and the NBA has evolved and that you should be just looking to put together the five best players you can at any one possible time. I think the Hawks personally would be crazy not to consider paying Fred Van. Yeah, I agree. And listen, that same argument um, can be applied to all the other suitors like Phoenix, for example, Phoenix would actually be an amazing spot. I think they I mean they have Rubio, Rubio's good, but if they had like 48 minutes of Rubio S level production, I think Fred is above Rubio at this point. Um, I mean, along with Devin Booker, who's really, really coming into his own, that will be really nice. The, the problem with Phoenix is they, they have about $20 million um, in cap room. And then they would probably have to shed Dario Saric, who I actually feel like is a nice player for them. Probably need to sign Aaron Baines again, or at least find some sort of long-term solution. Um or some sort of reserve at center. They have a lot of needs. I'm not totally sure they can afford Fred and do all that other stuff. But then they have the main, I guess the main threats are Detroit and, and New York. Um, obviously Detroit and New York, two of the most talent deficient franchises in the NBA. So they need Fred just from talent uh, point of view. But also, as you mentioned, I mean, a guy who come in and play actual defense, guy who comes in and, and can set a culture tone for you. Um you know, both those teams could could use Fred. The only thing is, I'm just thinking, like, how much money is Detroit really going to be willing to spend? And in terms of the Knicks, I'm just hoping that they look at this season as, like, this is our perfect opportunity to get Russell Westbrook, yeah. <laughs> to get Chris Paul, yeah. you know? And, and obviously, Leon Rose used to be Chris Paul's agent at CAA. That makes sense to me in terms of bringing Chris Paul in. That feels very, very on-brand for the Knicks. Bringing Russell Westbrook in feels very on-brand for the Knicks. Fred, at a very, very expensive deal, would be smart, but also at the same time just doesn't really move the needle in terms of how the Knicks operate. So I'm still looking at Detroit as the main threat. Um, what, what about you? What, what, what do you? what do you think about the rest of the potential yeah, I th- Fred I th- destinations? I think it's those two. I think it's Detroit and New York. But man, like... How much would Tom Thibodeau love Fred Van Vliet? Oh, man. You know, he, he can play him 46 minutes and 52 seconds mm. on back-to-back nights and not get a complaint from Fred, <laughs> you know? Fred will um, love that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think he really fits with the Tom Thibodeau team. I think, you know, Dwayne Casey would obviously love to have him back probably in Detroit. And, again, for those teams, like, you know, 
the Pistons, yeah, might not want to spend that kind of money. But again, like if you're Detroit, mm-hmm. you're not you're not a free agent destination. You're not going to be a player for one of the big free agents next year. Like you're not going to be a player for a star star free agent probably ever. Yeah. Right. You need to find a way to build this thing in other ways through uh, scouting, drafting, development, and um, maybe overpaying here and there some trades. Again, just like I was mentioning with Atlanta, like if the Pistons aren't willing to pay for a winning type player who's still very much in his prime and probably getting better, like Fred Van Vliet, then it's like, who are they going to be willing to pay for that they can actually acquire? Because yeah, everyone's willing to pay Giannis Antetokounmpo and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Guess what, Detroit? You're not getting those guys. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of crazy to me that they wouldn't be willing to pay a guy like Fred. And from the Knicks perspective, as much as we clown them, and as you know, you know, from our time together at the score and on pound the rock, I love to clown the Knicks and James Dolan at every opportunity I can. But in this situation, look, if they, if they skew their usual um, haste to acquire a player like Westbrook or Chris Paul, and instead spend that money on Fred Van Vliet, I would applaud them and be like, you know what? That, that's actually smart team building on the Knicks part. They, you know, they probably could get a Westbrook or Paul via trade, but it wouldn't be the right thing to do given where they are from a team building perspective. If they spent money on Fred, that would be money well spent. Yeah, it would be. And that's why the, the Knicks won't do it. Cause that is the smart. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I was looking at the Pistons roster recently and it is just bad. I mean, so first off their starting point guard is going to be Derek Rose or Brandon Knight. Yeah. It, last year, I remember watching games where Bruce Brown, who is like, like basically a Pat McCaw, um, he was operating a lot of point. Like it, this is a team with so little talent, man. Um, One of my but, favorite things to do with this Pistons roster is go down the roster and like uh, try to figure out who Dwayne Casey will make a ridiculous comparison to <laughs> between that player. Like, I was going to say, what, well, who's the John Salmons on this roster? Yeah, exactly. Like, um, but yeah, uh, man, that just what a barren franchise. Be like uh, Brandon Knight reminds me of a young Gary Payton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, look, there's going to be competition, but um, I also, I also do worry about like, in terms of if you listen to, um, you know, the wind horse or like the Bobby Marks of the, the, you know, the people who are really plugged into the financial side, um, it seems like they're really predicting a really, really quiet off season. Look, just because you have cap room, does not necessarily mean you need to spend all of it. There is the rule that you need to meet 90% of the salary cap. If you fall below that, then everyone else gets a bonus check. Um, first of all, I never understood why teams just don't do that in the first place, but whatever. Yeah. There's, there's nothing really holding you back. You're spending the money regardless. Might as well give your guys a raise. Yeah. It seems like a pretty nice thing to do for your, for yeah. your people. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of teams will probably not only just try to preserve the cap space, I think that's probably how they will sell it, but a lot of teams will not spend like that because it's it's just going to be a tough year. And again, when you have no fans, if you look at the Pistons, for example. Are you they, talking about pre, pre-pandemic pre or post? Because you said no fans. Oh, geez. Well, come on. They're losing all those like six busloads of uh, Raptors fans that come down on Greyhounds. No one's buying Little Caesars uh, at the game <laughs> It might cost more to get uh, a Little Caesars pizza than to get into <laughs> Little Caesars Arena, bro. <laughs> uh, Honestly, man, that reminds me of like the like really really bad Raptors scenes on like 2011. I remember right. over Christmas the Raptors played the Kings, and I got two tickets. I swear to God, for five dollars. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so nice. that's pretty much a Little Caesars combo right there. <laughs> um, yeah, but look, Raptors, man, please retain Fred. I don't want to see Fred with Dwayne Casey. 
coming up uh, against the Raptors, that would not be fun. And honestly, I, I just think Fred's a nice piece for the future, man. I mean, I think he fits perfectly. His age is good with the timeline. He works with the players. He, he has good chemistry with Pascal, obviously. Um, and plus, you kind of need a team for when Giannis does eventually get here. And that's kind of the next thing I wanted to talk to was just every week, essentially, I'm doing a, a Giannis free agency sweepstakes update. And the update this week is that um, the Bucks reportedly won't trade Giannis, even if he does not sign the uh, Supermax extension this summer. Obviously, that will be offered to Giannis. In terms of whether Giannis will say yes to essentially a quarter of a billion dollars, uh, Zach Lowe says he probably won't sign that extension. That was his guess. Uh, mostly because, look, you're, pro- you're going to get that money regardless, right? You don't necessarily need to sign in for the security. And, um, yeah, I mean – you know, if the Raptors are in for Giannis that year, if the Raptors actually have this ability to get him, if Giannis does sign, you need players to actually surround him with. And Fred actually would work quite well with Giannis. Don't see why that would be an issue. Um, where, where do you think Giannis is at right now? Because there's a lot of reports. He's mostly just in Greece, chilling with his family, with his new baby, celebrating um, newly crowned NBA champion Kostas Atenakumbo with the Lakers. Yeah. Just popping, popping Uzo in Mykonos. Oh, he's, he's probably living a great life right now. Um, yeah. What do you, what do you think Giannis is going to do this summer? Do you think he's going to sign that supermax? I don't. I think I think um, the same as probably most people think. Probably you think I think the box offer him the supermax. He declines it. Um, not necessarily as a tell that he's for sure leaving Milwaukee, <clears throat> even though he is. But um, and then the Bucks hold on to him uh, because look. You know, just like I was saying, as much as we like to clown the Knicks, as much as we like to clown the Bucks and that, you know, whole organization they've got going there and everything that's gone on the last year, at the end of the day, yeah, you the easy argument is, well, if you might lose a player like Giannis for nothing in that in a small market where you're never going to be able to place him, like you have to trade him, you can't lose him for nothing. But the flip side to that is like for all the flaws that exist in Milwaukee with that organization for all the flaws of Mike Budenholzer and the supporting cast, say what you will. If you have Giannis Antetokounmpo on your team and you know, you just assume average health in a relative season, whatever you have a chance to win a championship full stop. He's that good. He is that level like caliber of superstar that in the NBA is the basis is the foundation of championship contention. So I very much believe the Bucks should hold on to him, even if he doesn't sign, even if they believe they're going to lose him for nothing, even if he tells them they're going to lose him for nothing. Unless the season goes completely off the rails and it's very obvious, like they've got no chance to compete and they want to, they need to recoup some value and they trade a midseason for like, you know, obviously not equal value, but something, then I get it. But other than that, even if he tells you he wants out, if you're having the season you think you should have if you're Milwaukee, you know, you're cruising to another 60-plus win season, you think you're going to be a factor in the playoffs, you can't trade him because just like the argument is, well, you're a small market, you would never be able to replace that value. Well, the other argument is, yeah, you're a small market. Even if you trade for a package, you're going to be trading for a package of players and picks that you hope mm-hmm. maybe three to five years from now turns into a player half as good as Giannis Antetokounmpo is right now. And you know, in our lifetime, how many times has Milwaukee actually been a championship contender? Once, right now, with Giannis. Like, they had mm-hmm. some nice runs. You know, they went to the East Finals with with Ray Allen, but that team was never winning a champ. They had no chance to beat the Lakers or actually compete for a championship. With Giannis healthy, you have a chance to win. So, if I'm the Bucks, I hold on to him. As maybe short-sighted as that seems, like, you play to win and to win a championship. He gives you the chance to do it. You lose him. You don't have it. You probably don't have it for a generation. 
So that's the way I see it going. I say, I think they, they offer him the extension. Obviously he most likely turns it down and the bucks keep him anyway and roll the dice. And, you know, because only one in 30 teams win it and because their coach is Mike Budenholzer and their supporting cast is what it is, they probably don't win it. And then they lose Giannis for nothing. And that's the way she goes. But that, that's how I think it, it plays out. And just getting back to your point about Fred, I think Fred, whether it's Giannis or someone else, I think Fred is actually like the perfect kind of guard that you want in place. If you're bringing in a superstar shot creator, we'll call them, or like wing talent, whatever the case may be, because Fred's good enough on the ball to make plays when he needs to, can play off the ball and is an elite shooter. So, you know, he doesn't dominate the ball enough to take away from a player like Giannis or any superstar wing scorer you're bringing in, but he can do enough on the ball to be like a nice supporting player for that guy. Yeah, absolutely. You can win a championship with Fred, which you can't say for a lot of point guards, by the way. And um, yeah, I mean, that's already actually been proven, uh, especially, okay, so with the Giannis thing, you know, it reminds me of the Kevin Durant situation in 2016. Obviously, you know, the parallels, obviously, with the small, big free agent MVP level player leaving a small market. Um, but even if you look back at that 2016 season, 2015-16, the Thunder went up 3-1 in the West Conference Finals. And unfortunately, they blew it, but they were up 3-1 in the conference finals. So one game away from going to the finals. And then since Kevin Durant left, they have not had anything close to that kind of success. And if they moved Kevin Durant some, at some point during that, I don't think they would have been anywhere closer. You know what I mean? Like, what have they done since then other than just get embarrassed by, like, Dame Lillard and, and yeah. whatnot? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think for the Bucks, it actually makes absolute sense for them to make that push because, again, you you pushed all your chips into this moment just because he leaves. It doesn't mean you reverse everything. There's kind of too much to – they've invested too much in this scenario. They're, they're pot – committed at this point um in terms of okay so they're probably gonna make a move to convince Giannis to stay um I think Chris Paul would probably if you just look at forget the salaries forget everything else Chris Paul would be the kind of player that I feel like if you put him in that situation especially given how well Chris Paul has done in terms of closing games especially this year he was incredible in closing games um have a guy who can create have a guy who can close that makes a lot of sense. But according to Brian Windhorst, he really does not think CP3 is going to be it for the Bucks. Honestly, CP might just be too expensive for the Bucks to take on. I know they have enough outgoing salary to make the trade work, but as a franchise to take on, what, $80 million uh, for two years of Chris Paul at, in Milwaukee without fans, I, I just don't know if they can swing it. And then Zach will kind of brought up maybe Victor Oladipo makes sense for the Bucks. Um, what do you think the Bucks will do? If you had a prediction in terms of, okay, they do keep Giannis. They, Giannis doesn't sign the Supermax, but they do make a run for it. They make a push. Is it going to be like, um, remember when the, the, the Cavs traded for Anton Jameson to try to convince LeBron yeah, to stay? No, I, like, what's, what's their Anton Jameson? I think, I think it's somewhere between Anton Jameson and Chris Paul. Like, I don't think it'll be Chris Paul. And also, like, the thing not a lot of people are talking about is, okay, forget the money with Chris Paul. Because I think if you're the Bucks you need to go all in anyway. Like yeah. again, as, as I just went on that rant, you have a chance to win a championship in Milwaukee. You, you spare no expense. Unfortunately, the the bucks will spare a lot of expenses. Ask Malcolm Brogdon. But the, the problem with the Chris Paul thing is like, look at the bucks cap situation. Who are they giving up that entices Oklahoma city? Because 
as I've gone on plenty of rants on Pound the Rock, like I don't think Oklahoma City should be just looking to dump Chris Paul for the sake of dumping Chris Paul. Like the guy, st- even on that contract, still has value because of the year he just had. Yeah. So like I don't even think the Bucks have the actual assets to pull it off. I think he makes sense there for a lot of reasons, but they don't have the assets to pull it off. If you look at the assets they have and and their willingness or unwillingness to spend, like to me, the Bucks' actual most realistic situation. Their scenario is trading for a guy that's like not not necessarily an all-star, but like an above average starter. And Oladipo to me is actually like an interesting scenario because maybe you can get him with the assets Milwaukee has because he's an expiring contract and Indiana thinks he's gonna walk anyway. Um like I don't know. You, you know, you're not giving up Middleton, obviously. So you've got Giannis and Middleton. Like, what do you need with those guys? You need a you know, do you need a big? I don't know. Like you Brooke Lopez is kind of falling off. Like, yeah. Do you, I, do you, I don't know. Can you get Miles Turner from the, from the base? Like, <laughs> He's basically another Brooke Lopez. No, man. I know, but, but you know what I mean? Like, that's to me, that's more like the range they're in. Like, the Chris Paul thing to me actually seems a little far fetched. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, it's hard for me to come up with a specific example, but like in that tier of like above average starter, but also not quite all star level. Mm. And, and at the same time, if they can do that, they should still do it, right? Like, that would improve their team. Yeah, I got, I got a proposal for you. Um, okay. you. You take Eric Bledsoe and two first-round picks, and you trade them to Indiana for Malcolm Brogdon. Man, dude. <laughs> that would actually work a lot. That, I don't even know. I don't think Indiana says yes, but like yeah. Nate, Nate Bjorgren's like, I'm quitting if you, you make me coach Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> All right, I've, I've been in the G League long enough. Um, but it's true, man. Like, I don't want to harp on it because I know you've talked about it on this show plenty of times. Mm. I've gone on many rants about it, you know, various outlets at the score, but a decision to not pay Malcolm Brogdon. Um, when you look at how much trouble the Bucks ended up having generating anything, getting to the rim, like going to the rim when it wasn't in Giannis's hands, it's just like, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I get that he was hurt or everything like that. I mean, he had some injury things, but like he's older, but like, and you know, he wasn't like that great with the Pacers this year. His shooting percentage just fell off when he had to create more for himself, but he fit really nicely in that system. He was 50, 40, 90. He honestly, we watched that, that conference finals. He was taking a lot of the responsibility guarding Kawhi. Now, obviously no one guarded Kawhi, but still that's the guy they trusted the most to do that job, to let him just walk when you have a superstar in your team. It, it just, it's unfortunate. Um, and but yeah, I don't know. To man. your point, like, Malcolm <laughs> Brogdon is exactly the level of player I'm thinking about mm, when yeah. I say that. I think, you know, at his best, I think he's like a solid to above average starter, but he's not really an all, like he's not an all-star caliber player. But like that to me is the caliber of player the Bucks are going to be looking to add because I don't think they'll be able to get the Chris Paul type. So, yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, they're the best addition the Bucks made last year for me. Um, this is after they went to the Eastern Conference Finals, were up to nothing, and then of course got swept by the Raptors. Their offseason additions were like Robin Lopez and like Kyle Korver, Wes Matthews. Why are you bringing in all of these thirty-year-olds to, to your team to make your your team way more, way less athletic? We saw in that Miami series. I mean, they were just outclassed athletically at all the positions that weren't Giannis. And then their best addition to me was probably getting Marvin Williams in the middle of the season. He actually played a real important role for them. And then he just up and retired because he said, I'm not playing for Bud anymore. (laughs) 
Um, so I don't even know how they're going to replace Marvin Williams for stuff, you know? Okay. So. Well, I mean, I think that's a problem in its own right. If we're talking about a team that fancies itself a championship contender and our big offseason question uh, for them is how they're going to replace Marvin Williams, they got, they got bigger problems. No, don't worry, man. Patrick Patterson's a free agent. You know, they can, they can bring him in and I'm sure all the problems will be fixed. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm look, listen, the Giannis sweepstakes, there'll be many more updates. I'm sure the bucks will make some kind of move. Honestly, I could see them rolling the dice on Oladipo only because Oladipo is cheap. He's relatively cheap for a star esque player. Uh, the upside is high. You could probably get him. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't really know what the bucks do. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see though, because you know, they could, they're still really close to winning the championship. <laughs> they have the main important piece. They just need to surround him with talent. Yeah. Um, and the last thing I want to touch with you um, is sort of looking at how the Raptors could potentially get back to the championship. Now, I think you and I probably agree that the 2021 championship is a little bit more unlikely for the Raptors. Um, however, it is kind of an open year. I mean, we saw this year, the, the NBA is a little bit open. Obviously, you have LeBron and AD. That's a fantastic uh, combination. But the rest of the supporting cast is just kind of whatever. Guys that are a little bit older, a little bit unreliable, play some defense. But mostly it's just LeBron and AD give you 70 points a game. <laughs> and then yeah. just figure it out. You have like 15 Danny Greens essentially on the roster. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in terms of first off, I, mean, I guess I ask you then, I mean, a lot's going to change between trades and free agency and the draft and things like that. But if you're just looking at the picture now, uh, who, who do you see as maybe the three title favorites for the 2021 championship at this moment? I mean, it's probably LA, LA and Milwaukee. Like if we're being, you know, if, if we're talking about things just kind of going the way they should, but I'd throw in the warriors. Yeah, I would too. Because, uh, look, I know that there are obvious questions to be asked. You know, Clay hasn't played in a year and a half. And, you know, Draymond's lost a step. Steph missed a bunch of time. But the way I look at it is like, um, you know, okay, Christoph Porzingis took him, what, 20 months to come back from a, a torn ACL. And then he still wasn't quite the same, but he's a big man, different style. Like, Clay Thompson getting 20 months off or whatever it's going to be for his ACL injury. And given the reports coming out of that Warriors mini camp that he attended and apparently looked great in, like – for Clay's game as a shooter, like he should be fine. Really, if you think about the modern advancements in like medicine and whatever, and how athletes these days recover from ACL injuries, like Blake Griffin, maybe not a great example because he had other knee issues, but for the most part, like Blake Griffin came back from multiple ACL injuries and put together a near MVP caliber season after that. Like Clay Thompson should be fine given the amount of time he's had off. Steph, it was a hand injury. He's had plenty of time off. He had it to actually come back in March. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Um, Draymond, you know, maybe over the slog of an 82-game season won't be what he was, but this is the guy that literally gave definition to the term 16-game player. If you go into the playoffs um, healthy and you've got Draymond, I'm completely confident in him. That big three is as proven a collection of talent as exists in sports today, okay? And then you've got Wiggins there who, you know, whether you turn that contract into something whatever, look, I think – quietly i think wiggins made some moderate strides last season he was better right he passed and the ball I, a little bit better yeah and i think um as i was mentioning on pound the rock today like if that got that type of skill um in the warriors offensive system under steve kerr's tutelage i feel like you can't help but get at least a little bit better and smarter 
as, mm. as a basketball player, especially on the offensive end. If Andrew Wiggins is like your number three option on offense and your fourth best player overall, and you essentially need him to maybe improve as a shooter, be a combination of a spot up guy, but also a guy who can like be the release valve, right? When, when teams are loading up on Steph and or clay, when teams are really guarding the hell out of the Steph Draymond pick and roll, and you need this release valve to either make a play off the bounce or maybe get to like the weak spots in a defense and be able to pull up and, and make a not analytically friendly, but a mid range jumper, which in the playoffs, those are really important. Like I think Wiggins might actually be able to fill that role for them in a, in a way that people aren't thinking about where it's like, you know, if, if this guy catches the ball and you just need someone to, first of all, get a tough shot off and maybe make it Wiggins isn't a bad option. And, you know, he's the kind of guy where like, you have to just forget the contract at this point. He's not going to live up to that value. He's not a superstar. He'll probably not even be an all-star, but can he be that for them as a third option and like fourth best player? I I think so. Um, They've got the number two pick, whether they use that to fill a big man need in James Wiseman, you know, a hyper-athletic mobile big who can protect the rim and roll on the offensive end, you know, as a pick and roll finisher, really that's all they need from a big man or they turn that number two pick into something like you're, you're surrounding, oh, Eric Paschal, who people forget had a really good rookie year. There's enough talent around a very proven big three that the Warriors, to me, should be right in that conversation. Um, the two LA teams, obviously, and the Lakers, to be honest, like I tweeted this the night they won the championship, but I think for as long as LeBron and AD play together in LA, I think we'll look back and say that this team that just won the championship ends up being their worst Lakers team together because I think they can't help but improve that supporting cast and maybe um, surround those guys with guys that fit better the Clippers obviously also be good the Bucks as we mentioned have Giannis so right there there's four teams that I think if they're healthy can can win a championship other than that I don't know like you consider I'm as high on the heat as anybody man man, man maybe Miami can win it man if, if Bam I mean, can they have some key free agents yeah yeah you have, you have Dragic even the way um Crowder played this year kind of key a little bit as well yep um I mean he started so yep. um uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's first off, it's very interesting. I mean, we didn't even bring up the Nets necessarily because yeah. that's also a team that has a lot of talent. I still feel like that's a really shaky situation in terms of how that's everything's going to fit. Um, so that's a TBD, but obviously the talent is undeniable. You have Kyrie, you have KD, you have Steve Nash as a coach, which, you know. Maybe uh, Mike D'Antoni as offensive coordinator. Maybe. I mean, what is Steve Nash doing? So Steve Nash is going to coach, but he has all these – he has Mike D'Antoni on the bench. That's just weird. Why didn't you just hire Mike D'Antoni and Steve could be consultant or whatever, but whatever. Um, I'm interested to see that. Uh, disappointed to no longer see Steve Nash playing uh, soccer in the park with John Luca. Uh, <laughs> no more Steve Nash in Stanley Park, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, okay, so if, if the Raptors are looking at some of those teams um, – are there any sort of realistic moves that the Raptors can sort of make to take them up? The thing is, these are all very, very different teams to match up with, right? Like to, to beat the Warriors, you need a completely different skill set than you need to beat like uh, the Lakers, for example. And then the, I think the clip, the Clippers, you also need a different skill set there as well. Um, to me, I would say, honestly, if I was a Raptors fan and the Raptors were in the 2021 championship and it, they're in the finals against a team from the West, I would oddly prefer the Warriors again in terms of just what this team can do? Because I, I did see, I think Pascal had a lot of great moments against Draymond, specifically Draymond. Um, I think uh, Steph, obviously, he's, he wasn't shut down by 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 Fred. Fred, nothing not can shut down an all-time great player. But at the same time, Fred gave, um, 
him significant problems. Clay is obviously the biggest issue. He was the most dangerous player in, in last year's finals from the Warriors' perspective. But OG on him? But now you have OG on him. Um, and, yeah, I mean, uh, to me, they probably would be the team I would most want to see. Uh, and, honestly, in a weird way, I'm really afraid of the Lakers, only in the sense that if the Raptors don't bring back some of their centers, I just don't know which teams in the NBA can cope with their size. Like, I feel like in, in the same way that the Warriors sort of really forced the rest of the league to really shift downwards and get smaller, uh, the Lakers might have this opposite effect in terms of just they're so dominant in the paint. What are you going to do against AD and LeBron? And which teams are even properly equipped to handle that, really, right? And I think they, the Raptors this last year probably did have that, two legitimate centers, and then you have OG and Siakam. I just don't know if they'll have two centers going forward, you know? Yeah, AD makes the Lakers matchup proof. It's ridiculous, man. He was guarding Jimmy Butler. Like, yeah. what? like come you know, on. I, because if, if you go big, he's big enough and strong enough to hang on both yep. ends. Um, and if you go small, you know, usually keeping – a big man means you lose mobility on the defensive end, but Anthony Davis doesn't lose. Like it's still, as you mentioned, he can guard Jimmy Butler if you need him to. So yeah, he, he makes the matchup proof. And I thought the Raptors matched up with them really well this year, as you mentioned, less so, especially if they lose both of Gasol and Ibaka. Um, yeah. I mean, look, if, if it's the Warriors we're talking about, then you better keep Fred. <laughs> you <laughs> nice. definitely need to keep Fred for that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, look, I think from the Raptors perspective, they probably, if you're talking about them being able to compete for a title this year, I think what their Celtics exposed, and maybe that was just a Celtics matchup problem because the Celtics have so much of it, but the Raptors probably need at least one more like off the dribble creator, you know, mm. Norm, Norm is good as his, at his price range and, and was a positive value player this year and a breakout year. But if Norm Powell is your best off the dribble creator, or if Kyle Lowry is your best off the dribble creator for as great as Kyle is, mm. that's not, that's not really what you want out of a championship type team. Right. And I don't know, maybe the answer is just that between Siakam's improvement and OG, I like, I don't know, maybe this is asking way too much of OG, but based on some of the, some of the offensive things, OG started to show us, maybe the answer is just that between Pascal and OG, there's enough improvement there in terms of off the dribble creation and shooting that combined with Kyle, Fred, and maybe Norm, you have enough of it, but, but yeah, I would like to see probably another, off the dribble creator, the kind of guy that can get a shot off in playoff type moments against playoff type defenses. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's where like a guy like Oladipo comes. Like, I don't know, man. But you know, he's not going to mess with the 2021 cap space at the same time. If he has a good year, you know, and you're willing to spend like crazy and don't care about the luxury tax, then you can you can bring in Giannis with cap space and then still retain Oladipo because he's your own player at that point. Like, ah. I don't know what do you, like what do you think what like what what do you think I guess is the path towards the Raptors taking whatever final step they need to competing now without messing up 2021. Yeah, I mean I, I think I mean first off if you're going to compete for a championship it takes a lot of planning to go into it and you have to be very intentional. Like I thought the Raptors were very intentional about trying to win the 2019 championship and they did it. Um I don't think they fully intend to compete for the 2021 championship. It doesn't mean they're going to be bad. They're not going to be bad, but they just don't have the kind of plans. Um, I think the move is you bring in Giannis and then all of a sudden, then you are a championship contender again. But I realistically don't think so. But of course, this is the, the question I brought up the premise. I think a guy like Oladipo, especially if you could um, 
go it's it, okay so all the people is it's just so tricky i talked about it on the last week's podcast he's so tricky because you don't really know how good he is because he had one really great season and it was legitimately great both ends um but you know then he had injuries before that he was not that great either maybe that was just the fault of playing with russell Westbrook, who was chasing triple bubbles that year uh or he was with the magic and no one gives a crap about the magic like who knows? But um, Oladipo is very tricky. If you got the best version of Oladipo, absolutely, that would make a difference against all of these potential uh, title contenders. But um, yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, I think I agree. Uh, we saw in this year's playoffs that the Raptors are truly elite defensively. They gave Boston, who uh, Boston is a very, very good offensive team. They gave Boston real legitimate issues. They they kind of laid out the blueprint. You was zoned against this team. The Heat were like, all right, bet. We're going to use that to go to the finals. Um you know, but the Raptors offensively just struggled so much. And that wasn't just Pascal. It was also uh, Fred uh, had a, a pretty bad shooting percentage. Kyle had great games, but also would kind of fluctuate in and out. I don't think he was great in game seven, for example. Um, and again, at his age, you don't know how much you can really expect that to happen. So you do need more offense. And then when you're looking at the offense, it's weird because you would say, okay, Norm Powell is one of your best scorers. You might want to keep him to improve your offense. We saw in in the in the Celtics series, this man was getting outplayed by Brad Wanamaker for the majority of that series. Now, of course, he turned it around at the end, but you know that's something where you have to look at in terms of okay, yes, he does score, and yes, he is really great in the regular season, but how much playoff type scoring do you have? And that's a different question than a regular season type scoring. Playoff type scoring just is just a lot more difficult. It's a lot more skill based. The more complete you are at all three levels in terms of three mid-range and then the rim that's that's going to make you more impervious and but also just a guy who can come off the bench and actually create and I didn't really think Norm did that this year I mean yes he did it against Brooklyn um but I you know that's coming I mean come on that that was Brooklyn so um yeah I don't know how you improve the offense necessarily but I think that is the one thing holding them back and you know eventually down the line when they get a guy who give you 30 points per game and draw a triple team every single time down the floor then your offense probably is fine but uh for now it's you know that's the issue and I think honestly because of the honest thing it kind of handicaps the Raptors this year in terms of just it just restricts them from making all these other moves that you might would normally do without any sort of long-term planning uh and I think the Raptors kind of just have to stay in a holding pattern so yeah. And again, Nick, they are That's good not a bad thing that. either. Yeah. Yeah. They they can stay in a holding pattern. You know, they can retain Fred, um, maybe retain Serge and, and just sure. get internal improvements from Pascal and OG and be a 53, 55 win team again. That's like yep. right knocking on the door of potentially a path to the final. Like that, that's very possible while they re- remain in a holding pattern. But for sure, I mean, we know, we know what 2021 is about and it's not about the 2021 season, you know? Mm, yeah, exactly. Well, um, that does it for the podcast. Cash, thanks for coming on. Um, you are doing a, a myriad of things. So <laughs> let the people know what you're saying. And obviously pound the rock. You got the scores, um, unfiltered series. I mean, that's that, I mean, that is blowing up, man. Uh, I'm seeing it in my YouTube recommendations all the time. Tell us about, well, I mean, we all know about pound the rock at this point. Uh, tell us about the unfiltered series. What's it about? What are you covering? Uh, what, what's, what's already out there? Yeah, I mean, technically it's all sports, but the ones uh, and I and I host them all or shoot them all. But the ones I script, which are the majority of them, um, is NBA related uh, across the league, and it is essentially um, an eight to ten minute video that takes um, either like a a hot topic in the NBA or just something I want to riff about 
And and basically it's like an eight to 10 minute breakdown of this hot take, I guess, uh, around the league that I have. And we try to come up with a good mix of, I'd say like analysis, a little bit of X's and O's stuff, a lot of big picture stuff, and also throwing in a lot of like comedic stuff in there as well to keep Mm -hmm. it lighthearted. But yeah, I mean, we started it, I'd say, um, last November ish, our first episode, um, funny enough was about why in the hell KCP was getting so many minutes. And in the end, (laughs) by the end of the season, uh, KCP ended up proving us wrong. But yeah, that Uh that was our first episode. And, you know, we started last season with under 2000 subscribers on a YouTube page that didn't have much on it. And now I think we're at like 37,000 subscribers. So growing pretty quickly and um, most videos now getting like 50 to 100,000 views, sometimes more. Uh, So yeah, that's unfiltered. We've got the story behind, which is just like a 20 minute look at, you know, a, a legendary player's career. Uh, we've got a new series dropping soon. So yeah, um, if uh, any of your listeners and viewers want more basketball content, uh, subscribe to the Scores YouTube page, follow the Scores uh, news on the app, and listen to Pound the Rock. Yeah, definitely. Highly recommend. Um, my question is, when, is going to be, when are you going to do the Unfiltered series? Because I've seen you do a couple of uh, the footy-type videos now. When are you going to do the... Is Zlatan Ibrahimovic, AC Milan legend, uh, the Man. story behind there? Because, Dude, bro, this, yo, we're talking about LeBron in year 17, like Zlatan, like. It is stupid yeah. how good he still is. Um, and in Europe, too, you know, like we're not talking about yeah, yeah, yeah. like. That's not MLS. No yeah, offense to MLS. playing in Qatar here for like. Some, yeah, yeah, this is I'm not Javi and yeah. wherever he went. Yeah, yeah, no, he's, he's at the top of his game and still one of the better leagues in the world. It's incredible, man. Um yeah, Milan, uh, Milan looking like p- potential title contender, but at mm. worst, like a team that should probably get back in the Champions League. And I don't know, maybe maybe meet your Liverpool again at some point in a final. Oh, uh, you know, I would love to see that. But um, no, but seriously, though, it's it's actually been really fun. I, I think honestly, Serie A, I mean, I haven't really been into Serie A as much in previous years, but I think this year is just it's very interesting, man. I mean, the the, the, the amount of talent that the Serie A has actually been able to accumulate is, is very um intriguing at this point and you know honestly ac milan i feel like is one of the best stories in the league just because like you just don't expect like a 39 year old zlatan to like turn your you know like a historical franchise around but um it's been really so congrats on the uh the the, uh the milan derby win thanks i I thought you were gonna ask when the story behind on the score fc was coming (laughs) oh man well listen we need that as well all right We, we we need to bring me in for the 30 seconds where uh I bugged you for about like three months straight. I'd be like, "Hey, man, listen, uh, you know, I, I could play. I could play in center back. You know, just, uh, just remember when we had those little small foam soccer balls around. Yeah. I'd just like kick it around the office I and do. be like, then- oh, yeah, this, yeah. I mean, yes, I do occasionally play soccer. And then eventually, uh, <laughs> yeah. when when you uh, needed a call up, I was there, and, um, and and that was the beginning. That was the beginning, man. And you've been you know, you've been a score FC mainstay on the back line ever since. That's correct. And uh, we were there for the championship. And I don't know if you remember multiple, that. Multiple championships. Multiple championships. That's correct. Uh, I have, you know, a, a pink XTFC winning shirt and a red one. But um, no, the one that's uh, that debut game, I don't know if you remember, but that was the game where we were down one nothing the whole game. John Luca tied it. John Luca tied it on the last kick of the game, like in extra time. We yeah. went straight to shootouts. And John Lucas scored, I think, twice in the shootouts. And I believe Gord Brunt was the keeper. He was, yeah, he was our he made, original keeper. He made like three or four incredible saves in the shootout, and I think he also scored in the shootout as well. Which <laughs> I think as, you're right. As a keeper, is always amazing. And of course, I just remember that because that was ridiculous. I think that was in the semifinals of the playoffs too. So. Yeah, it was. What an introduction to score MC for you. Oh man, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I missed the pen, but we you know it's 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 all good. 
So you had already proven your worth. It's all good. All right, Cash. Thanks for coming on the podcast as always. Yeah, man. Thanks uh, for having me. And uh, yeah, listeners, I'll be back uh, next week with more uh, Raptors content. Sounds good. I'll be watching. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.